This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, January 16th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Given the news of a deadly attack on the Capitol by Trump supporters, the social media punishment exacted on the president and his supporters, and a quick impeachment of the president, Donald Trump's pardons have all but been forgotten. Cato adjunct scholar Sahar Khan discusses the pardons of Blackwater security employees who killed Iraqi civilians. The pardon power is a broad power. It's not subject to much second guessing, uh, unless pardons are in furtherance of crimes (laughs) that are ongoing and uh, and a few other reasons. But uh, in particular, you expect the pardon power to be used uh, to correct a past wrong, to get people out of prison who, by all accounts, shouldn't be there, to deal with it's one last pressure valve on uh, problems associated with our criminal justice system. In the case of the pardons of Blackwater agents, what do you suspect was the goal that the the president was, what was he trying to achieve by, with these pardons, as far as you can tell? You know, it's really hard to tell what exactly the goal of President Trump was to pardon these four gentlemen. Um, I think it highlights, for one thing, um, a couple of things. Number one, that perhaps President Trump doesn't quite understand the role of pardons. Um, Pardons is something that the president certainly has a right to do, but I think that it's a privilege that should be exercised with caution. And the second thing that is highlighted by these pardons is that President Trump is trying to indicate that he can um, help certain individuals out, certain people that he views have been um, convicted wrongly. These pardons, to me, though, don't just make any sense. He doesn't have a personal link with with any with any of them. Um, he certainly has a link with Blackwater's founder, Eric Prince, whose sister is his education secretary. But again, this is all speculation. We have no idea if Betsy DeVos asked him to do this or also why she would ask him to do this. There's no evidence of that yet, as far as I'm concerned. So this just, these pardons especially seem like they came out of left field. What were these men convicted of? So these men were convicted of killing innocent Iraqi civilians in September of 2007. Uh, they were in Iraq in, in the green zone and they were mercenaries that were part of Blackwater. Now, before I sort of explain like exactly what happened, there's one thing I think that we should remember 2007, 2008 and beyond. It was really bad time for Iraq. Violence was extremely high and a lot of U.S. officials that were working in the green zone had security around them. And what the U.S. armed forces did was they sort of outsourced personnel security to these kinds of private military security companies, and one of them was Blackwater. And so these four um, guys were basically um, Blackwater contractors who were escorting U.S. uh, officials out in armored buses from the green zone. Um, And they were going through... um, I would say downtown Baghdad at the time. And part of the norm was that when these convoys were going through, other Iraqi cars would sort of move away, right? It's 
imagine like uh, when the ambulance comes out, right? And everybody kind of stops or moves their car to, to make way for them. And that was kind of the norm. And oftentimes these uh, contractors would sometimes just go ahead first to stop traffic, to clear the way. So this was something that was, you know, done pretty routinely. What happened on, on September 16th of 2007 was that they, they went to sort of clear traffic. Um, some cars stopped, moved out of the way, but there was one car that had broken down. And so there were some Iraqi police officers who were helping this family, you know, move the car. Now, one of the um, sort of highlights, not highlights, but one of the things that, um, a lot of car bomber, car bombers were known to do at the time was to, to position cars a certain way and then the car would go off. So the, the, at least in the defense of these Blackwater, um, contractors, what they said was that we thought that this is what was going on, that even though there were people there in Iraqi police officer uniforms. This is also something that suicide bombers routinely used as well, right? That they would pretend to be, uh, you know, security forces or whatever. Um, and so basically this was, this was going on. And then there was another car that kind of kept going. It didn't stop. And so they opened fire because they thought that this was a threat to them. However, there were countless eyewitnesses who basically said that it was the Blackwater contractors who started firing first to intimidate the crowd. And unfortunately, they started firing even before traffic stopped. And at least 14 people were killed. The official number is 14, but there are actually 17 people who were killed. Two of them were children. They were all civilians. And investigations indicated that none of them had any criminal record. None of them had, there was never any evidence that they were sort of attacking the U.S. convoy. So, so this was really a very, very, very tragic, terrible incident. And I do want to say that this wasn't that common. It's, it wasn't that common for defense contractors to just randomly open fire, right? So this was something that was really just odd that they just opened fire. It was a random killing. So what does this tell us? I mean, it, these are independent contractors. These are not, these do not count toward troop levels when we're doing uh, the math about troop levels in, in various countries, but they are acting as agents of the United States in these countries. This is maybe one of those weird areas where it makes a lot of sense not to have the private sector uh, so uh, deeply involved here uh, because Ultimately, you want the people who are engaged in this kind of activity, even as just a security service, you want them accountable to a military chain of command in a very direct and obvious way. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this is one of the main main issues is that they don't count as troop levels. They shouldn't because they are not U.S. troops. They are former U.S. troops, certainly, but they are not U.S. troops. And so, of course, they are also subjected to a, a different set of regulations as well that have been developed over time for specifically for private military security companies. But certainly they don't count um, in, in, in official troop numbers. Um, I think there are a couple of things going on here. One is that it's it's nice to have these kinds of defense contractors who have the U.S. military training, who understand combat, to be providing security to U.S. officials. Certainly, you want people like that on the job, right? The fact that they're defense contractors, perhaps, you know, for, for economic reasons for themselves, for the U.S. military is, is good too. But I think this this massacre really highlighted the, the issues and the tensions between having actual military personnel versus private contractors 
who is supposed to hold private contractors accountable. And, you know, in this case, they actually were miraculously held accountable. It took a long time. They were convicted in 2014. This attack happened in 2007. It took seven years, right? So it wasn't like, oh, this happened really fast and suddenly they were convicted. I mean, the FBI built a case. It took them years to do so. The jury deliberated for 28 days. I mean, this was an issue that really was highlighted. I, I think that, that a lot of people went really deeply into it, right, to figure out who should be held accountable. Um, and I think this is still an issue. I mean, the private military security companies are all over the world, and they comprise of former U.S. troops that have U.S. troop training. Um, and, and the idea is, what do, you, what do you do with them? And that's still very unclear. And these pardons, if nothing else, indicate that that contractors can get away with this kind of stuff. They can spend a few years in jail and, you know, it's fine. Whatever my uh, policy disagreements are with the president, uh, I think it's broadly agreed by libertarians that his impulses when it comes to war were largely in line with people who are fans of, of freedom. And that is these wars are stupid at this point and uh, if they ever had a point and trying to get troops home is a, a laudable, important goal. And I feel like he attempted to, to do that more than certainly Barack Obama and George W. Bush. So it doing, the, doing these pardons in this way, uh, I, I feel like we, we've completely lost a, a lot of uh, focus on, on given recent events. But what possible benefit could it provide to uh, what uh, the president believes is, a, you know, a dumb war. I think it provides absolutely no benefit. And I have no problem saying this. I disagree with President Donald Trump on almost everything except for him reducing um, troops in Afghanistan and Iraq and not just reducing troops, but basically ending endless wars and withdrawing troops. So I agree with him on that, you know, one thing. <laughs> but I have no problem saying I disagree with him on on everything else. And these pardons just... They make absolutely no sense. And not just that. I think over the past four years, we've seen President Trump discuss or at least talk about how the U.S. should leave Iraq and should leave Afghanistan. I'm not sure if he understands why, you know, we should leave. But I think these pardons indicate almost his arrogance regarding these wars. I mean, it's one thing to say that we should not wage war, which I agree with, but it's quite another than to completely disengage or to completely dismiss what happened in Iraq. And I think the, the issue, the issue that I'm personally having with, with this is whether or not President Trump believes that troops should leave because he thinks that the U.S. should not wage war and this is bad for U.S. grand strategy or if he just thinks it's a bad business decision. Either way, these pardons don't make any sense because they basically just came out of left field. Nobody knows why they were pardoned. President Trump doesn't have a, a link with any of them. It's very unclear who would ask him to, to, to make these pardons. The one thing that comes to my mind is that perhaps President Trump wants 
you know, his one of his legacies to be that he has moved on from Iraq, that his administration was one of those administrations that advocated for a troop withdrawal, um, which is something that the Iraqi parliament also wants, and they voted for U.S. troops to leave. So perhaps that's what he wants. But I think to do it in this way, to pardon these four men who were convicted of murder because they did murder Iraqi civilians, indicates that President Trump doesn't quite understand the failure of the war on Iraq. You know, it was an unnecessary invasion and that turned into an occupation due to poor planning and policies. And granted, they were not his, President Trump's poor planning or President Trump's policies. But at the end of the day, um, if the United States wants to move on from Iraq, this is not the way to do it. And I think it's opened up wounds. It ruins U.S. credibility. Um, and it's it's completely and utterly unnecessary. Sahar Khan is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.